the way, there's also a children's version. You know, Michelangelo, when he was painting the Sistine Chapel, it's, it's over 60 feet tall. There's 133 foot feet long of ceiling and it's 46 feet wide and he had to build special he had to invent special scaffolding just to go up high I, I get a little nervous when I go up just to here to change the light bulb and that's only like 20 some feet he was 60 feet high he had to crank his neck back standing there painting with it right in his face the paint would drip into his face and and the problem is because it's such a huge mural he really couldn't get perspective he had to he had to be able to understand what he saw on the ground remember that go back up and that would affect how he painted and so what he would do is he would climb down from his scaffolding and it'd be a laborious process and he would get down from his scaffolding he'd look up and make sure that he had the perspective right he would get perspective climb back up and it would inform his painting his perspective really informed his painting and what I want us to see from scripture today as we start the new year is perspective we we need perspective because sometimes we lose perspective sometimes we can get so close to the things of life to the daily stuff just the work of life that we we can get so close to things that we lose perspective on the bigger picture we can fail to see really what God is doing in and through us we can fail to see what he's called us to and and what we're a part of and so what I want us to see today is is to get perspective from scripture on on who we used to be and then we're going to see who not only who we used to be but who we are in Christ and and then we're going to see that that not only do we have an identity because of who we are in Christ, but we have a purpose. And he's placed us as part of the church. And so we're going we're to look at the different portions of Ephesians to see this, this perspective because sometimes we lose perspective and we can be aware of the day-to-day, the mundane, the, the trivialities of life, all the different things that we're doing in the, in the midst of things so that it's really close and we can't see really God's perspective on things. And so sometimes that can lead to discouragement. Sometimes that can lead to over-introspection. If you're like me, when you get around the last month of the year, sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I get really introspective. And I start assessing how, how my life is going, where the year has been, um, how I've done this year, have I gotten the goals that, uh, accomplished that I wanted to get accomplished, or maybe did I not have the goals that I should have had. And, and then you begin to assess things and you think, I need to make some changes. And, and that can be a, an okay thing if you have that biblical perspective in mind. But if you begin to make changes to your painting as you're going, without taking a biblical perspective, you can make mistakes. And so I want us to get, I think God would have us get perspective from the book of Ephesians. And there's going to be five essential truths we're going to see from this book. And so um, the first thing I want you to do is get your Bibles out. So it, maybe you don't have a physical Bible, but if you, if you don't have a physical Bible, get out your digital Bible. Get out your, your phone. But here's what I'd ask. Put it on silent. Put it on airplane mode. Close your other apps so that you're not distracted. Let's completely be undistracted and let's look from the book of Ephesians to see the perspective, the bigger picture, as we look back on our lives this past year. One of the first things that we need to see is that it doesn't begin with life, it actually begins with death. We, we need to have a perspective to see that we once were dead. We were once dead. I used to go fishing in this Vetter River out in, in British Columbia. And when I would fish in the Vetter River, it was a lot of fun, but sometimes you would hook a fish and you would spend so much time getting it in and it would felt like a boat anchor and then you finally reel it in and you realize that the fish was dead you just snagged it and all that work and effort was for naught you just had to throw it back because it was completely useless 
And that's how the book of Ephesians looks at us prior to Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Don't go down to your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's how the Bible describes us to begin with. We need this perspective so that we can be encouraged in the end to see that we are no longer this. But we have to remember that, that we're, we were like those dead fish. We were completely useless, not, nothing to be kept. We didn't have any treasure in ourselves. We were completely dead in sins. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then he describes what that looks like in verse 2. He says, You are following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is who we once were. We were like those dead fish. We were only swimming along in this current of sin, this current of trespasses. We were following along in this course that we were going, this course of the world, the course of the devil. That's, that's who all of us once were. None of us can say that we're better than somebody else because all of us were dead. All of us were like these kind of fish, just going on that stream. And we were living out in verse 3, it says, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind. We were by nature, this, this solves the question of, you know, are we born good or not? He says, we were by nature born children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And then if you go skip down to verse 11, he says, we were, we were the Gentiles, we were the uncircumcision Remember, you were one time, you were the Gentiles. You were uncircumcised, you were unclean. Verse 12, look down your Bible, says you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from God's people, you were strangers to the covenant of promise, you had no hope, and you were without God in this world. It's a bleak picture. What a way to begin New Year's, right? We have to, to see, though, who we once were in order to see who we now are, and so we get perspective. Look in verse 13, it says, you who were once far off, in verse 14 of chapter 2, it says, we were divided. Verse 16, it tells us that, that we, were, we were hostile. He says, thereby killing hostility. The hostility was within us. And in verse 19, it says that we were strangers and aliens before. We don't, we don't want to forget our past, but we don't want to live in our past either. We're not defined by our past, but we need to have the past perspective so that we can have joy in who we are now. Remember, this is who we used to be. And that, that remembrance of who we used to be, that getting that perspective of who we used to be is, is meant to cause gratitude in us now because the fact is your prior deadness is no longer true of you if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you're still dead in these sins. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you placed your hope in him for eternal life, the fact that you were prior dead should make you excited about the fact that you now are alive in Christ. And that's who we are. We're, we're in Christ now. That's what Ephesians tells us. And, and, I, and I wanted to go through the entire book of Ephesians because this past summer we had an opportunity to do that as a church, go through it in Bible studies one-on-one and, and ladies' Bible studies as well. And, and so what I want to look back and see is that we need to remember not only were we dead, but now we're in Christ. When people go undercover, they take on a new identity. And sometimes if they're 
undercover for long enough, they, they begin to think like that person undercover, that identity undercover. They, they forget who they used to be. They live this new identity out, and, and it changes how they live. And sometimes they don't ever live differently from that, and they get stuck there. In a good way, as Christians, we're to see that, get perspective that we've been given a new identity, but it's not a fake one. It feels foreign to us at times. It feels distant. It doesn't feel like who we are, but we've been given a new identity in Christ. And so Paul, the apostle, when he writes this letter to the Ephesians, he writes this letter to the church, look at how he addresses them in, very, in the very beginning in verse 1. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now that doesn't just apply to those in Ephesus. It's all those who've been made holy in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. I know you might not look like one, you might not feel like one, Alan, that's not the Catholic definition of a saint. But you're a saint, you've been made holy, you've been made righteous, you've been made pure before him. And here's what else he says, look down at verse 1, he says, not only to the saints, he says, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Maybe you look back on this past year and you're not feeling very faithful, you're not aware of your faithfulness. Here's the thing, in Christ you are faithful, because Christ was faithful. Look down at verse 4. It says, he refers to us as chosen in him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. He chose us in him. You are in Christ now and you're there not because he, you chose him but because he chose you. That's good news because that means that we're held securely. Look down at verses 4 and 5. It says, in love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. He, he, he didn't do that through ourselves. He didn't do that through our own work. He's adopted us because he loves us. He chose us. He adopted us. He called us out of the squalor we were living in, and he adopted us. He made us his own. Now look in verse 7. It says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Oh, sorry, verse, that was chapter, not chapter 2, look at verse 7 of chapter 1. In him we have, been, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is who we are. We are now redeemed through his blood. We've been completely forgiven. Maybe you're looking back on this past year and you're aware of all those areas of failure. You've been already redeemed by his blood. You've been completely forgiven. You, all your trespasses have been removed, not according to your merit, but here's what it says, according to verse 7, according to the riches of his grace that he's lavished on us. This is who we are in Christ. Look in verse 13 of chapter 1. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Here's the good news. Your being in Christ is not kept by yourself. Your in Christness, if, that, if you can say that, if that's a word, is kept, it's sealed by the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who seals you. He's the one who keeps you. It's as if we're, we're wearing this, this Christ suit that's melded to us now. We put on a Christ suit and it's melded to us now and it's part of us permanently and it's meant to change everything about us. We have a new identity. We're meant to live that out. It might feel foreign, but it's a real identity. And the fact that we're made new in Christ, that we are in Christ, is meant to give us faith and hope to sustain us, to strengthen us. We've been given a new identity and it belongs to us. It's who we are. We're not called to live like we're dead any longer. We're called to forget 
how we used to live and then run with endurance the race that's set before us, knowing that we're in Christ. And here's the, the wonderful thing about it, is that we're securely blessed, or we're blessedly secure in Christ too. We don't have to worry about whether we keep ourselves or not, and our merit, our performance, our efforts this past year, what we've done or not done, they don't keep us. We're kept secure in Him. We are blessedly secure in Him, or we're secured, securely blessed, however you want to put that. That's our third point that we want to look at. You're securely blessed in Christ. It's like you're living safe in a compound that's guarded completely securely and no one can break in. And you have all the things that you need. We're securely blessed in Christ. If you you were living like that, if you were on some remote island that you knew was safe from any hurricanes or any kind of tropical storms or any kind of physical happenings and you knew you were completely surrounded by full-time guards, it would change how you live. You would live securely. You would, you would live with a confidence. You would live differently. We're meant to live differently knowing that we're immeasurably blessed. Look at in verse 2 of, verse, of, uh, sorry, verse two of chapter 1. Or actually, uh, yes, sorry, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Here's the thing, it doesn't say with, with some spiritual blessings, but it says with every spiritual blessing. Do you realize if you are a Christian that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing? There's no spiritual blessing that he is withholding from you. Now, it might not feel that way. You might not feel very blessed because you're aware of all the things in life, all the struggles and trials and difficulties and challenges, but here's the truth of who you are in Christ. It says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. This is what you have available to you you've been blessed in christ with every spiritual blessing in verse six of chapter one it says up to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved we are blessed in the beloved with his grace in verse seven you've been lavished with his grace and all wisdom and insight in verse 11 of chapter one it says we've obtained his inheritance we have the inheritance of jesus christ that's the blessings that we have as christians verse 12 we're to the praise of his glory Verses 18 to 20, it says, We have hope because of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? You, you, you look back on this past year and you think of all the things you failed in. Here is what you have available to you. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working, not of our might, it says according to the working in verse 19, of his great might, that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Christian, you are secure in him because you have the very same power that was at work in raising Christ from the dead. It raises your life from the dead. I'm going to go on again in verse uh, 16 of chapter 3. It says, according to the riches of his glory that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Don't lack hope. Don't lack confidence because here's the proof. It says he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That Christ, it says in verse 17, might dwell in our hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. And in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 3, that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God. We've been immeasurably blessed. We're secure in him. Where, where no thief can break in, no, no one can steal your blessings from you. You're secure because of Christ. He's predestined us for adoption. It is already a foregone conclusion. You've been adopted, you've been chosen, and that adoption is final and complete. 
We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And in all things, God has united all things in Christ, and in him we have an inheritance. He's given all things to Christ, and then Christ gives us his inheritance. Our hope is in him. He's the one who seals us. He's the one who guarantees us. He's the one who keeps us. Here's the wonderful thing, too, is that this isn't something we do on our own. Look in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 2. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has things for us to do, but here's the thing. He's created us for them. He's called us. He's made us. He's the one who has done the works to make us completely accepted by him is by grace, by his grace, by his works that we've been saved, not by our own. In verse 14 and in six, the 16 of chapter 2, it says, for he himself is our peace. He's our peace. Maybe you haven't had peace this past year. We can have peace in Christ knowing that he is our peace. He's the one who's reconciled us to God. He's abolished the hostility. In verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, that through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 6 of chapter 3 says, You're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Are, are you secure yet? We're meant to be secure in the, all the blessings that he's given to us freely. It says in, in verse 12 of chapter 3, In Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. There's nothing he's withholding. In verse 20 of chapter 3, it says, Christ is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us. He's able to do more than we ask or think according to the power, that's his power, that's at work within us. And then at the end of Ephesians, he, he gives us hope and that we can just do the, the daily battles in life because he, he gives us his own armor. He gives us his own strength. We can be strong in the Lord. We can, we can stand firm in the armor that he's equipped us with. We need to know this perspective. We need to have the perspective that we were once dead, but now we're alive. Not only that, we're securely blessed in him. And that now he's, he's, not, he's made us a part of his body. We're not alone. You're a vital part of Christ's church. You don't have to be afraid that you have to walk through the Christian life alone because he's made you a part of the body, his body. He's made you part of his church. He's, he's joined you together with people who aren't like you on purpose so that you could benefit from them and then benefit them. I want you to think about it for a moment. Just look at your own body for a minute and think, okay, which part would you give up if you had to? I don't know, what, what part? Anybody have any ideas? What part would you give up if you had to give up a body part? What part would you give up? Your toes make it hard to run, make it uncomfortable to walk. What else? What else? You just yell it out. What would you give up? Fat. Your what? Fat. The fat. The fat. Well, you get cold. You wouldn't have energy stores. <laughs> Tonsils and appendix. Well, they've learned that the appendix now is actually very functional, and it it puts all kinds of good bacteria into your body. And so um, I have my appendix removed, and I have issues now. Um, there's the, every part of our body, every part of our body is important, even if we don't understand how it functions. And sometimes it might be people in the church might be thinking, well, they're in a tonsil, or they're an appendix. 
Or you might be thinking, I'm I'm a tonsil, or I'm an appendix, or I'm a toe. But there's no part that we wouldn't miss. The loss of any part diminishes the whole. We're all a part of the body. And we being in Christ means that we are a part of his body. If you are in Christ, you're a part of his body. If you are part of him, you're a part of his body. And his body, it tells us in Ephesians, is the church. Look in verse 23 of chapter 1. It says, And he put all things under his feet. Oh, sorry, verse 22 of chapter, uh, chapter 1. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So Jesus is head over all things to the church for the sake of the church. He says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Look in verse 10 of chapter 2. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Look in verse 13 of chapter 2. It tells us you have were far off, have now been brought near. In verses 14 and 15, it talks about how we've been united and made one new man. The hostility between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, all the distinctions that, that separated us once, we've now in the church been brought new, brought near, brought together, united as one new man in Christ. And now in, in verse 19 of chapter 2, it tells us we're no longer strangers and aliens. You belong to him. You're a part of him. You're a part of the church body. In verse 19, it says, you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In 2.21, it says, you're a holy temple. In 2.22, it says, you're a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In 3.6, it says, you're fellow heirs, members of the same body. You are not alone. Get perspective. You're a part of a body. You're a valuable part of the body. The body needs you, and you need the body. In 321, it says, Christ is glorified in the church throughout all generations. To him be glory in the church. As we are a part of the church, we actually bring him glory. The the opposite of that is true too. If we are not a part, then it diminishes bringing him glory. It's, It's in the church that he is glorified in and through the church. In chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, it says that there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's a glorious thing that you've been made a part of. You're not alone. You're a vital part. Look in in chapter 5, 19 to 21. It tells us how we function together. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a picture of the church functioning. And it's even a model for husband and wife relationships. And you're wondering, where do these husband and wife relationships fit in in the book of Ephesians? Well, at the end of that portion about husbands and wives, it brings us back to the fact that it's actually meant to be a model of Christ in the church. Being a part of Christ means you're a part of his body, and that's meant to have implications in how we live. Every part of our lives is affected by who we are in Christ and the fact that we're a part of his church. And every part of our lives is meant to reflect that, 
to show forth that. Even our marriages, however imperfect that they are, are meant to show the relationship between Christ and the church. You're Christ's people. You're his household. You're not alone. And it's also not all about you. It's like we're part of this, of this glorious orchestra. Now, every, every local church is its own orchestra. But imagine that you're a tuba player. You know, it's not the most glorious instrument. Now, I, I, if you're a tuba player, I'm sorry. I, I, I like the tuba, but I like it with other instruments. If you hear the tuba alone, it, it sounds a little bit harsh. It, it's like I, in, my, in high school, I, I have an embarrassing season where I was part of the marching band at our military school. And, and I was, um, they had too many drummers, and I was a drummer, and so they were like, well, we'll put you on cymbals. And, and cymbals is, is not a beautiful instrument, and, and it, it doesn't make a beautiful noise, but in the right place, in the right time, it really adds to the entire experience. And so it's, it's like, if we think that we're alone, it's like we're playing on our own as a clanging cymbal or a tuba that's just making noise. It's only together that you can make the music that the composer designed you to make. You're not a theoretical part. You are getting perspective. You were dead. You've been made alive so that you might be brought into his body. And that you're a vital part of that body. And don't try to live cut off. As we begin the new years, reflect on the past year. You know, sometimes you can get comfortable being distant. You can be comfortable not having fellowship. You can be comfortable pulling away. Sometime between the beginning of November and the end of the year, it's very busy, and so there's a tendency to lack fellowship, and so you lose perspective that you don't think that you need the body. You're a vital part of the body. Don't try to live cut off from the body. Don't try to live as a cut-off appendage. You have a place and you have a part. But here's the thing, like our own physical body, sometimes it's stinky. Sometimes we stink. Sometimes your fellow body members stink. Sometimes your less presentable parts don't smell too good. They're difficult to deal with. You have to, they require extra care, extra attention. But Ephesians gives us help there too. It talks about this in the context of the church, this work that he is doing in us of putting off and putting on. Ephesians 4, 22, it talks about uh, putting off the old man and then put on the new self. Well, that's in the context of the church. You know why? Because people will challenge us. This old man will crop up all the time when you're around other people. They will annoy you. Their preferences will be different than yours. They will smell bad, both figuratively and literally, okay? <laughs> but what do we do? In, in, verses, in verse 25 of chapter, <coughs> chapter 24, <coughs> I'm sorry, verse <coughs> 25 of chapter 4, it tells you what we do. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And he tells us why, because we're members of one another. It's in the context of the church that we're speaking the truth. And this truth that we're to speak is the truth about Jesus, that we're to speak to each other, for we're members of each other. And then in verses 25 to 32 of chapter 4, it talks about how our sanctification, it really occurs in context of the church. And then he gives us some commands. In verse 26, he says, be angry and don't sin. You know why? Because people will make you angry. Well, actually, people don't make you angry. Your desires are at war within you make you angry. But when you're around people 
those desires will get challenged and, and you'll be tempted to be angry. He says, you know, don't just put away falsehood, speak the truth in love, be angry but don't sin. Um, don't let the sun go down, so keep a short record, just keep short accounts, don't, don't let things linger. Give no opportunity to the devil. And then, and then he gives all kinds of moral instructions all in the context of living life in the body. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And, and did you notice there's some key words there? One another. You can't do the one another's without one another. You can't do the one another's on your own. You can't grow on your own. It's impossible to grow like God intends you to grow without being a part of his body. I like the, the way that G.I. Packer puts it when he talks about the church. He says, the church is a hospital in which nobody is completely well. And anyone can relapse at any time. How true is that? The church is a hospital in which nobody is completely well and anyone can relapse at any time. Let's get perspective. Let's have patience as well. John Calvin said, we must show patience to everyone, even those with whom it is hardest to be patient. After all, Christian growth is a slow process, and it takes time to mature in the faith. If we don't bear with one another, there'll be no space for any of us to grow. We're not to tolerate gross sin, but we are to be exceedingly patient with each other. You were dead. That's not who you are. You used to walk, motivated by your passions, your own desires, doing what you wanted to do. Now, you've been made new in Christ. Now, what that new life looks like is being a part of his body and not living according to those passions, those desires, putting those old things off and, and showing patience and grace to each other. And here's the thing. Looking back on this past year, you might have discovered that people in your small group, people in your church, they needed patience. Here's the thing you might not realize, so do you. We require patience. The body needs attention and care and cleaning, but you have a place in the body. In, in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, he talks about all the different gifts he gave, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, uh, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You not only have a, a place in the body, but you have a function in the body. He's given you a purpose to, to minister in the body. And that's actually one of the goals we're going to have for this year is to ask every member to pray at least once a week. Just pray, God, would you give me an opportunity to be a minister this week, whether that's in my small group or on Sunday morning. Could you give me an opportunity to be a minister, Lord? Open my eyes up so I can see where I might minister to my fellow small group members or to people in church and that I can, that I can come ready and prepared to minister and to step out in faith to do that. Every one of us has a part. Every one of us has a work of ministry to do. Maybe that looks like coming early or coming staying late for fellowship. We have a role to play. This, this Christian life is a community effort. Sometimes we can forget that when we get, become inundated with tons of information. We can become kind of focused on our own problems, our own situations, our own circumstances. and We can fail to get perspective. Just step back and say, wait a minute, we need each other. And they need me. I need them and they need me. So think, you know, hey, how can I come prepared to ask people good questions, draw people out, see where they're at, engage deeply with people. Maybe look and ask yourself, how can I encourage someone today? Take a step back, see that we're not alone. We don't belong to ourselves. We've been, we've been made a part of his glorious community. We've been made a part of his body. 
so we can be more effective and carry out the purposes of God that he has for us. Ephesians is all about our life in Christ and our shared life in Christ and the fact that now we have a purpose in him too. That's the last thing we're going to look at is we have a purpose. Your life has purpose in Christ. You know, sometimes you can think, the painting that I'm working on, I don't understand the big picture. And maybe it requires a lot of effort. It requires a lot of attention. It requires a lot of work. And you're getting frustrated because you don't seem to be mixing the paints really well. You don't seem to be able to, to, to put up on the ceiling what you're wanting to put up on the ceiling. But your life has purpose. You're not wandering aimlessly. God has, has put you here for a purpose. And, and part of that purpose is to be a part of his body and then also to, to give him glory through your sanctification. Our, our sanctification is it's for his glorification. We're to glorify him in every part of our daily lives and, and living for him in the, in the everyday messiness of life because life is messy. But the mundane, it's not meaningless. Your every day has meaning and purpose and value. And here's the thing, is, as you are part of the church, as you're living out what it looks like to be a part of the church, it, it testifies not just here on earth, but to principalities and powers. Look at, at verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, so, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There is a purpose. And it's, in verse 11 it says, according to the eternal purpose realized in Christ Jesus. In verse 1 of chapter 4, look down in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in the love, another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is what it looks like to glorify God in the body. We have a purpose. And, and walking those things out, by the way, it requires effort. And, and you're going to get it wrong. I'm going to get it wrong. We're going to fail each other at times. But that's where we get to love each other. We get to walk in patience and humility and gentleness because we need patience and gentleness and humility. We have to bear with one another in love because we need bearing with and others need bearing with. We're called to unity because we're going to be tempted to disunity. But all these things, all, as we live this way, it's going to glorify God, not only to principalities and powers, but to the people around us. They're going to see that God makes a difference in your life. That he's changed you. He's made you new. It's going to be a testimony that, that is a witness to others. We're, we're put in the body to, so that we might no longer be children, as it says in verse 14 of chapter 4. In verse 15 of chapter 4, it says, We're to speak the truth in love so that we can grow up into him who's the head, into Christ. Verses 17 and 18, he talks about how we need the church, so that we don't become darkened in the futility of our minds. We don't become alienated, hard-hearted like we used to be. But instead, in verse 21 of chapter 4, it says we, we need to learn Christ and be taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. That's why we gather together. That's why we encourage you to be a part of a small group, to have fellowship with other people. All of chapter 5 is about being imitators of God as beloved children, walking in love as Christ has loved us, trying to understand what's pleasing to the Lord, it says in, in verse 10 of chapter 5. Uh, verses 15 and 16, walking carefully, making the best use of the time, not being foolish, but understanding who the Lord is in, in verse 17 of chapter 5. 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ in verse 21 of chapter 5. Even our husband and wife relationships have purpose. No matter what situation you find yourself in, even slave or master, or child or parent, our obedience is if we're obeying Christ. Our service is as if we're rendering service to him. Walking as children of the light. We need, we need constant reminders. We, we need to remember. We need, we need perspective to remember who we once were. We were dead. But who we now are? We're alive in Christ with all the power of Christ in us, at work in us. And now, now no matter what your situation or circumstance, you're secure and blessed in him. We're blessedly secure, securely blessed. However you want to look at that, we're blessed in him. We're secure in him. We're part of his church and we have a purpose. And, and that's one of the reasons we're going to go through this catechism is that every week we want to remind ourselves about the bigger picture of, of who we are, who God is, who he's made us to be, what our purpose in life is. And there's, there's three parts, God and restoration and fall, Christ, redemption and grace, spirit, restoration and growing in grace, the different sections of this. And hopefully it's going to be a weekly reminder, really, a weekly perspective on who we are in Christ, who he's made us to be. We want it to be a means of grace for you, for your family, for your small group, for your sanctification. And one of the primary means that God uses is other people. Don't deny the blessing of being in community with other people and don't deny the blessing of annoying each other. I don't mean on purpose. If, if you're one of those people who does it on purpose, quit, okay? It's not funny. Um, if you annoy somebody else on purpose, stop it. Only you find that funny. But we're going to annoy each other. We're going to bother each other. We're going to have issues. We're going to, we're, we're going to disagree at times. And in a room like this, I bet that people have different political preferences than you. They have different preferences about child care. They have different preferences about food. And some of those can be very strong. I'm not just talking about food, by the way. I'm talking about all those preferences. I have strong preferences about food, but I'm not going to share those right now. Um, we can all have different things that, that are important to us, but none of them are more important than who we are in Christ and that we're part of his body and that even those things, those things that we differ on, those, that we think we're right and somebody else thinks they're right on, those are all meant to conform us into the image of Christ even more as we work through that. Do the hard work of working through those conflicts, those issues, those disagreements, those problems. That's actually the grace of the church. The grace of the church comes, the goodness of the body of Christ comes as we work through all those things. That's where he helps us grow and be more like him. So, so don't, don't give up when things get hard. Think, oh, wait a minute. This is God's cue that I need to grow. When things get hard, when people challenge you, when you disagree, when you have issues, when people annoy you, that's God's cue to say, hey, by the way, you need to grow. This is about you. You need to grow. You might think it's about that person annoying you, but they wouldn't annoy you if there wasn't something in you to be annoyed. And there's an opportunity to be conformed to the image of Christ. What a wonderful blessing. What a glorious privilege that is. I like the way that Spurgeon looked at the church. He says, if I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. In the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. 
for it wouldn't have been a perfect church after I become a member of it. We're not a perfect church. But I like what he says, still imperfect as it is, it's the dearest place on earth to us. Don't, don't move around when it gets hard. Don't, for, don't, you know what? You know what happens? You know, if you, if you have children and if you're constantly sparing them from difficult things, they don't grow. Don't, don't spare yourself as God's children the opportunity for growth when things get hard. It's not about you. It's about Christ in you. And he's, he's made you a part of himself. He's made you a part of his body so that he might be glorified in you and through you. You see, Christ, I love the picture of Christ in the church in, in Ephesians 5 where it talks about husband and wife. And at the end it says, it, it's a picture of Christ in the church. And, and it talks about husbands being willing to die for their wives because Christ died for his wife, for his church. The church is worth it. This life that he's called us to, it's not meaningless, it has purpose. It's to create this glorious, grand picture that God is working on, that we're a part of, that he welcomes us into. Christ's bride is worth it. Living for him is worth it because we show forth his glory. It might seem daunting, but look, look down, and then we're going to end with this. Look in verse 10 of chapter 6. He doesn't call us to do all these things because he expects us to be strong on our own or he expects us to you know, join a gym this year and get strong enough, discipline yourself enough. No, he says be strong in the Lord. That's where our strength comes from. And then he says in the strength of his might. That's where our strength comes from. And then he gives us tools and he equips us and he gives us the whole armor of God. And then, I, and then I love in, in verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Why? Because we need him. Because the Spirit stands eagerly willing and ready to bless us, willing to answer our prayers. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We have a glorious privilege. It's, it's messy, but it, it's a glorious privilege that we have. We get to partner together in this mission that he's called us together in. And, and in that, too, don't, don't lose sight of the fact that it has evangelistic purposes as well. And we're to pray for, pray for evangelism, pray for that to be. And, and we're going to talk about that in, in following weeks. But we have a purpose in his body. He's called us. He's blessed us. He's made us one in Christ. He's made us new. And it's not easy, but it's blessedly secure. And it's a joy in Christ that knowing that not only he's going to call us, but he's going to keep us. and He's going to cause us to grow and he's going to strengthen us for the journey. And there's no better place to be than with God's people walking together in his church, carrying out his purposes in the everyday stuff of life. So let's get painting on what he's called us to do. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us perspective through the book of Ephesians. God, I pray that we would have newfound, fresh hope in you, in who we are in you, the fact that we're secure and blessed in you. God, I pray that you would give us joy in being a part of, of what you are doing in and through your church in the world. And God, I pray that you would give us faith, Faith and hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.